The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Welcome to this episode of Setting the Record Straight. My name is Russell Trewick. I'm pastor of Christ Covenant Church in Alvin, Texas, and I'll be your host for today. Today I want to talk about what is called the origin of liberty. That's right, the origin of liberty. Uh, There's been so many things going on recently with the Colin Kaepernick situation and Christian libertarianism and so on and so on. And I wanted to discuss what the first today, the origin of liberty. First, before we discuss it, I I believe we ought to know as Christians what liberty is. Liberty is defined as freedom from restraint in a general sense and applicable to the body or to the will or mind, according to Noah Webster's American Dictionary in 1828. For the secularized society of our day, liberty may be defined as natural, civil, political, and religious in category. However, any restraint of liberty is done by law, and whatever law that rules the people is its religion, for all law is religious. For the Christian, the ultimate liberty is unfringed self-government under the law of God. The laws of secular man and God's law are set against one another, for they both are religious, and just as Scripture tells us there is one God, there can only be one law. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, or I will talk more about this in a moment. Secondly, we will be discussing more fully the origin of liberty. When we discuss the origin, the word origin, we are speaking of the beginning of things. When we discuss the origins of the universe or the origin of man, we are discussing how the universe began or where man came from. These two subjects alone reveal the battle between the two laws slash religions of secular and divine. It is no different when it comes to politics, government, and liberty. The Declaration of Independence in July 4, 1776 reads, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What this document says is correct, that the right to life, the right to liberty, and the right of both to be uninfringed by any man or government of man, for all men are endowed or furnished or supplied by God. When it comes to the political mainstream today, all rights of man are, uninfri- are, I'm sorry, are infringed. When it comes to secular libertarianism, people cringe because how far does liberty go until it violates God's law? At this point, I want to reference a sermon I recently preached as part of a sermon series on the law of God, which is an adaptation of R.J. Rushdie's The Institutes of Biblical Law, Volume 1, as an introduction to the Third Commandment. So please listen carefully. First, when it comes to the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, there is a negativism found. When speaking of negativism, we are speaking of the you shall nots found within the law. Nine out of ten commandments contain these type of statements. So when it comes to sinful man, the laws of negation are oppressive and tyrannical and must be rebelled against. When it comes to sinful man, 
Understand, the laws of negation are oppressive and tyrannical, and they have to be rebelled against. Romans 3 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together become worthless. No one does good. And so on, and so on. It says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Second, this negative concept of the law confers a double benefit. One, it is practical, dealing realistically with a particular evil. Exodus 20, verses 13 through 16 tells us, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. A negative statement deals with a particular evil directly and plainly, prohibiting it and making it illegal. Therefore, the law of God has a simplistic and modest function. Since the law is limited, the state or government is limited. The law of God is limited to dealing with evil, not controlling all men. We need to note at this time what the often misquoted Romans 13, 1-4 actually says. It says, and I'm going to look at some specific areas. Verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will encourage judgment. For rulers are not a terror for to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong... Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The purpose of the civil magistrate or government is to enforce God's law when there is a lawbreaker. This brings us to the second benefit of the negative concept of the law, in which it secures liberty. Galatians 5.1 tells us, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't be submitted again to a yoke of slavery. No, I do not. Uh, I do know the intention of the Scripture is, and I don't intend to take it out of context, but I want to appeal to the minds, to our minds for a moment, in a reasonable way. Christ has given us liberty to be free. Why would any believer want to be enslaved to sin or law of man ever again? Rushdie wrote specifically, he says, Except for the prohibited areas, all of man's life is beyond the law, and the law is of necessity indifferent to it. If the commandment says, Thou shalt not steal, it means that the law can only govern theft. It cannot govern or control honestly acquired property. When the law prohibits blasphemy and false witnesses, it guarantees that all forms of speech have their liberty. The negativity of the law is a preservation of the positive life and freedom of man. Thirdly, the opposite of the negative concept of the law is the positive concept of the law. Now this might seem confusing, but if under the negative concept of the law, the you shall not, the law is limited, which means the state civil magistrate slash government is Limited, then under the positive concept of the law, the law is unlimited, then the state is unlimited, and its purpose and necessity is to control all men. Rostrini went on and says, If the law is positive in its function, if the, and if the health of the people is the highest law, then the state has total jurisdiction to compel the total health of the people. 
everything becomes part of the state's jurisdiction because everything can potentially contribute to the health or the destruction of the people. Because the law is unlimited, the state is unlimited. It becomes the business of the state not to control evil, but to control all men. Basic to every totalitarian regime is a positive concept of the law. Matthew 20, Jesus exhorts his disciples. He says, uh, he calls them to himself. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great, uh, great ones exercise authority over them. And he says then, it shall not be so among you. That's because the law doesn't give the right or the ability for such things. Therefore, under the positive concept of the law, no area of liberty can really exist for man. There is no area of things of indifference, of actions, of concerns, and of thoughts which the state cannot govern in the name of public health. You understand this. You can't be indifferent to the state. You can't have a different thought. You cannot have a different way of acting. You can't have concerns for things that the state is not concerned for. Rushdie goes on to say to credit the state with the ability to minister to the general welfare, to govern the further general, general and total health of the people, is to assume, assume an omnicompetent state, and to assume an all-competent state is to assume an incompetent people. The state then becomes a nursemaid to a, to a citizenry whose basic ch- character is childish and immature. The theory that the law must have a positive function assumes thus that the people are essentially childish. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? Don't you know that whoever you obey as an obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Just think about that as we move on. Fourth, biblical faith holds that man's problem is not childishness. No, but it's irresponsibility. Ultimately, it's sin. A biblical view always runs contrary to the secular view. In fact, secular psychology created a term and scapegoat for this type of person, an adolescent, which is permissive perpetual childhood. According to Rush Dooney, the human problem is not a primitive nature, not childishness, but irresponsibility, a rebellion against maturity and responsibility. Man is a rebel, and his course is not childishness, but sin, not ignorance, but willful folly. See, man's problem is not the absence of enough time to grow up, but willful foolishness. And many parents enable willful foolishness because they too are foolish. Please understand, a fool cannot be protected because a fool's problem... Is not the society around them. It's not their culture. It is themselves. A fool can't be protected because they are the problem. Derek Kidner wrote regarding the fool, The root of his problem is spiritual, not mental. He likes his folly. Going back to it, like a dog that returns to his vomit, Proverbs twenty six eleven. He has no reverence for truth, preferring comfortable illusions, Proverbs fourteen eight. At bottom, what he is rejecting is the fear of the Lord, Proverbs one twenty nine. And it is this that constitutes him a fool, and it, this that makes 
his complacency. Tragic, for the careless ease of fools shall destroy them, Proverbs one thirty two. In society the fool in a word in a word is a menace. At best he wastes your time. You will not find a word of sense in him, Proverbs fourteen seven. And he may be more serious be a more serious nuisance. If he has had an idea in his head, nothing will stop him. Let a bear be robbed of her cubs meet a man rather than a fool in his folly, Proverbs 17.12. Whether that folly is prank, is some prank that is beyond a joke, Proverbs 10.23, or some quarrel he must pick, Proverbs 18.6, and run to death, Proverbs 29.11. Give him a wide berth, for the companion of fools shall smart for it. Proverbs 13.20 And if you want to send him away, don't send him with a message. Proverbs 26.6 Rushdie went on to say, this is a lengthy quote, so bear with me please folks. If the law assumes a positive function, it is because it is believed that the people are a negative factor i.e. incompetent and childlike. Then in such a situation, responsible men are penalized with total liability. If a criminal who is by his criminality and incompetent enters a man's home, he is protected in his rights by law. But the irresponsible and law-abiding citizen can face a murder charge if he kills the invader with his own life, if, if, if his own life is not clearly threatened. And every recourse to escape is not exhausted. A hoodlum can trespass on a man's property, climbing a fence or breaking down a gate to do so. But if he then breaks his leg in an uncovered post hole or trench, the homeowner is liable for, for the damage. When the law loses its negativity, when the law assumes a positive function, it protects the criminals and the fools. And it penalizes responsible men. Responsibility and liability are inescapable facts. If denied in one area, they are not abolished, but rather simply transferred to another area. If alcoholics and criminals are not responsible people, but merely sick, then someone is guilty of making them sick. Thus, Dr. Richard R. Korn, professor at University of California School of Criminology at Berkeley, he has said that prostitutes should not be arrested and imprisoned because they are alienated poor children looking for a better way of life. If these prostitutes are simply alienated poor children looking for a better way of life, then someone is responsible for their plight other than themselves because their intentions were good ones. More than a few are ready to name the responsible party, society. But the prostitutes, their pimps, and the criminal underworld are all a part of our society in the general sense, and it's obvious that they are not being blamed. It is clear also that by guilty society, the responsible and successful people are meant. And it's obvious that they are not being blamed. Sorry about that, but it says, under communism, for example, this means that the total liability of Christians and capitalists is guilty of all of society's ills. As total li liable, totally liable, they must be liquidated. Responsibility and liability cannot be avoided. 
If a biblical doctrine of responsibility be denied, a pagan doctrine takes over. And if the biblical negativism of the law is replaced with the law having a positive function, a revolution against Christianity and freedom has taken place. A negative concept of the law is not a safeguard to liberty, but to life as well. Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. So where does liberty come from? It comes from God, from the God of the Bible alone, through Christ Jesus. Where is it found? Well, it's found in the law of liberty. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 tells us, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if someone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and, pers- and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The law of God is the law of liberty because it doesn't seek to control men. But according to Romans 3.20, gives man a knowledge of what sin is. It seeks to point out evil and those who have transgressed God's law and the consequences behind such actions. I use the word actions intentionally. In the passage in James I just mentioned, we are exhorted to be hearers of God's perfect law that that become doers who act. The law of God is a law of liberty because Christ's yoke, according to Matthew 11.30, is not burdensome. The law of God ultimately in Christ Jesus seeks to set men free, liberated not only from sin and death, but from the yoke of slavery to sin. John 8.36 tells us, If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. We are, to, we are set free to live in liberty, and we do not want to deny that which reveals our liberty. Liberty is not freedom apart from the law of God, for that is sinful rebellion against God. Even our Lord Jesus Christ told the crowds that gathered in Matthew 5, 17-20, says, Don't think that I have come to abolish the law of prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called at least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We must take heed of what the Lord, what our Lord just said and be able to clearly identify the societal culture that exists inside and outside the church. Those that seek to have us deny, reject, discount, or rebel against God's law don't seek liberty for themselves or others. The reason why sinful man wants to abandon the law of God is not only for the sake of rebellion against him, but that they might be able to be a God unto themselves, but according to, uh, but according to Romans 1, 18-32, suppressing the truth of him, truth of God's word in unrighteousness, giving themselves liberty to do what ought not to be done, while seeking to control all men by lording their rebellious law over them. That is what rebelliousness against the negative concept of the law of God does, and there is no neutrality, no coexistence, and no compromise. There can only be one law, for there is only one God who has only one people whom he has given only one purpose. The law of God is threefold in its nature. One, to drive the sinner to Christ alone, Romans 3, 19-24. Two, to provide a standard by which Christians may judge his sanctification, Deuteronomy 6, 25 and John 17, 17. And three, to maintain order in society, restraining and arresting civil evil, 1 Timothy 1, 8-11. 
In my next podcast, I will flesh this out a little further as we discuss generally Christian libertarianism and further discuss allegiance, devotion, and worship. Until next time, God bless you and yours. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.